Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the reading. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. That's your turn to say, it's good to see you too. Oh, thank you. I'm, I, the reason why I took this job is because I crave affirmation. No, I'm just kidding. Or am I? Maybe that's a little bit true. God's helping me with that. It's good to have everybody uh, gathered here this morning. Our text I'm going to preach out of is going to be from the Second Corinthians text, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. And it, it is one of those texts that first glance, you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, I get to preach on the jars of clay passage. And then you get to the, the last part about suffering and you're like, oh, and I got to talk about this, too. So pray for me <laughs> as I attempt to go through this with you today, brothers and sisters. St. Paul says in in chapter 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So St. Paul saying, it's not me, it's not my message, it's not something that I just made up. This is a message from the Lord. We are not proclaiming anything good about ourselves. I'm not standing up here telling you about how well-educated I was. I'm not standing up here telling you about how smart I am. I'm up here to proclaim something wholly different, something wholly other than anything that I have in myself. Jesus Christ as Lord. So we have to ask ourselves then, what then does that mean, particularly for them in their context? Because he's preaching most likely primarily to a congregation comprised of maybe mostly Gentile converts. So a Gentile convert hearing Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Messiah, would make them think something maybe a little bit different from how Jews would have understood it. So if you're a Gentile and if you're unfamiliar with the Hebrew scriptures, you won't understand maybe necessarily what, what Paul's talking about here. For them, they already have a Lord. Caesar is their Lord. Their local rulers, their local powers are their Lord. But if Jesus is Lord then that means that he is even Lord over Caesar, that he is even Lord over their local rulers. He is even Lord over, as St. Paul says in Ephesians, all principalities and powers. Jesus is Lord over everything. And Paul says, we ourselves, we are your servants for his sake. He's saying, I am a servant The people who come with me to help you, our servants, we are your servants. He's talking to the Corinthians here. We are your servants for the sake of Christ. So if he's their servant, that means he's placing himself and those who are with him. Everything that they do is to work for them, to work for their good, to work for their benefit. But, well, let me, let me put it like this. In our own modern context, right, we don't like this word, Lord, because 
Well, it denotes service or allegiance or fidelity. But because we live in a fallen world, words can be twisted and they could be used for selfish and evil purposes. But one thing we have to keep in mind, brothers and sisters, when we say that Jesus is Lord, that everything is subservient to him, we have to remember and keep in mind that Jesus doesn't just say, if you love me, keep my commandments, do what I tell you to do. He's not like one of those parents who say, do what I say and not as I do, right? Jesus being Lord, he does say, if you follow me, if you love me, you will obey what I've commanded you. You will keep my commandments. But what does Jesus also do? He lovingly gives himself for the sake of all. He doesn't just say, do what I say. He goes a gazillion steps beyond, and he offers himself up for all humanity to atone for their sins. Not just a specific group of people, but for all. That's the kind of Lord worth serving. A Lord who became a servant and whose followers themselves are now servants patterned in his way. In Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus called them to him and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This idea of service, of giving, of humility of humility. St. Paul's point revolves around this idea, and we're going to continue to dig into this a little bit. Our walking out of our belief in the lordship of Jesus follows the pattern that Jesus set himself. In verse 6, it says, For God who said, The light shine of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is this light shining out of the darkness? A reference to, brothers and sisters. When This is an easy one, right? When did God say, let there be light? In the beginning, right. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 3, God says, let there be light. And there was light. So what he's saying here is the same God who created light at the beginning of before even the beginning of time. And we look in the creation account, light is created before anything else. The God who has created light has illuminated their hearts with something. The God that said, let there be light, has shown his light in their hearts in the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Knowledge is not just storage of facts. It's not, I know the series of propositions about Jesus. Proposition one, proposition two, proposition three. He was born here. He did this. He accomplished this. And faith means I have to do this. I need to know this. I need to know this. And I need to know that. That's not what knowledge necessarily is. It's participation. Is experience. Verse 7, it says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Remember, a couple verses earlier, he said that we do not proclaim ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus as Lord. The power belongs to God. 
They are proclaiming that power that has been shown in their hearts. This light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that is their treasure. And where is this treasure kept, brothers and sisters? Is it kept in a strong vault? Is it kept in a bank? Is it kept underground? Where is this treasure kept? (laughs) I love having kids in service. It's the best. Where is this treasure kept, brothers and sisters? It is kept in, in us, in jars of clay. In jars of clay. Why is this beautiful treasure of the glory of the light of the Lord shining in the face of Jesus Christ? Why is it hidden inside these jars of clay? Not the Christian band from the late 90s. I think I still have maybe the first CD, which is, is the best. Why? It is not their power. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 28, St. Paul writes, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. There's a scholar that I like named Ben Witherington. He says that Paul's reference here to earthen vessels, these jars of clay, It might be a reference to cheap pottery lamps that were made there in Corinth that people would use for walking around at night. And he says this, Because of their thinness, these vessels let out more light. This makes it clear that the light comes from another source. So Paul adds that in this case, his frailty ought to make obvious that the power is coming from God and not from himself. Now, it may on some level not make sense that God would work in this way, right? Letting his light shine through earthen vessels, imperfect people. But this is the pattern Jesus himself set. And this is where things can get risky, brothers and sisters. Because if we all have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shining in the face of Christ in us, and we ourselves are jars of clay, and we ourselves or find ourselves, and we find ourselves in this place where we are awaiting the great hope we have in Jesus Christ, right? He has saved us. He has brought us from death to life. But we still have to fight against sin and death and the effects of sin and death on a fallen world. And that means, brothers and sisters, that sometimes as we are jars of clay, that means we are not always going to get it right. That means there's risk when we come together as Christians in the body of Christ. Some of us might be hypocritical, like the Pharisees, like we heard in the gospel text. Are you going to heal this man on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to. I kind of made the Sabbath for you guys, but yeah, I'm going to. There's risk, and that's tough, and it's hard. But this is how God chooses to work. God chooses to work through what is weak. So his power can be on display. The message of Christ can be proclaimed, not our own message or what we think is good or what we think is bad, but what the risen Christ. And I think when we talk about having this treasure in jars of clay, I think that the incarnation is a perfect example of this, right? And we talk about the incarnation, we talk about how Jesus Christ, right? We talk about how he, when he's on the earth, he is both, well, not even now in heaven, he's both fully divine and fully human, right? Jesus was not created before, before everything. He's not a created being. He is God, right? We, we confess this. 
He's both fully God and fully human. But deity is clothed in humanity, right? So I think this, the incarnation is a perfect picture of this imagery of this, this light shining through these clay jars. Then St. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So what he's trying to do here is, he's not trying to make the Corinthians feel sorry for him. Okay? He's writing this because he and the Corinthian church, they're in the middle of like a very heated back and forth. Right? They got into some really crazy, the Corinthian church got into some really crazy stuff. And, the, and scholars think in, in, that there's maybe four letters of the Corinthians that Paul wrote. And the first one is lost. The second one is what is 1 Corinthians. And then another one was lost. And then the other one is, is what came to be 2 Corinthians. They wrote back a lot because they were really wild and they were really crazy. And Paul was grieved at the stuff that was going on there. Part of the problem that, that was going on there is that false apostles and others were stirring up trouble in his own churches that he started, saying that he, this guy that, that, that came to you, this guy that preached Jesus, he's actually not a true apostle. He's a, he's a fake one. So what Paul does here, he doesn't get here and say, well, he, well, he answers by saying, I'm patterning, pa- patterning my ministry to you according to the ministry of Christ, right? According to the model that Jesus provided for him. According to Christ's passion, Christ's example. How does Jesus conquer them, brothers and sisters? By enduring the cross, by embracing the fullness of the human condition, except sin, and by his suffering for all. So for St. Paul, you got to keep this in mind. His sufferings here are a mark that the power of God is working through him, even though he's a frail vessel. This is what proves his apostleship. Not that he has a new fancy chariot from Ferrari, right? Not that he has this nice, huge, massive, fancy mansion. Look, this is, God has blessed me with this. So, hey, this is a sign. There, there are, and there are people today who believe that, that money and power and materialism and things are signs that God has blessed me or that God has approved my ministry. But St. Paul, his life here shows the exact opposite. That the example of Christ, the self-giving example of Christ is what is the ultimate approval from God, right? The ultimate example, the ultimate pattern of ministry. St. Paul's sufferings then are a mark that the power of God is working through him. In other words, his sufferings on their behalf, because remember, he said, I am your servant. His suffering for them reveals Jesus somehow. Witherington says he, Paul, is absorbing the sufferings with the result that the Corinthians do not have to endure them. He is deflecting the harm on himself. So think about it. Are the Corinthians traveling all over the place? Are they getting shipwrecked? Are they being bitten by serpents? Are they experiencing hunger? Are they being whipped and stoned? No, St. Paul is, and he's doing it on their behalf. He's doing it for them. And this is what proves his ministry. This is what proves his ministry, that he gives himself up for them. 
not exercising authority. Do what I say because I'm St. Paul and I planted you however many years ago and you have to listen to me because I'm in charge. That's not what he does. He says, listen, I am suffering these things, but I suffer for your sake. Why? So that in my sufferings for you, the power of God can be manifested through me to you. St. John Chrysostom says, For as we endure Christ's dying now and choose whilst living to die for his sake, so also will he choose when we are dead to beget us again unto life. For if we from life come into death, he will also from death lead us by the hand into life. Powerful, powerful stuff here. So for us, 2,000 years removed, for some reason, the way we respond to suffering matters. And this is, this is a hard part of the sermon because some of you are sitting there, suffered a lot, and you're sitting there saying, what does this young whippersnapper know anything about hardship? <laughs> does anybody even use the word whippersnapper anymore? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, okay. And if you do, wow. <laughs> Teach me some more. Old, uh, sorry, not old, vintage. Vintage words. What does this young whippersnapper know anything about suffering? What suffering has he, has he endured? And I say, you know, brothers and sisters, I haven't endured a lot. I've endured some, but I haven't endured the level of suffering that many of you gathered here today have. So it's hard to talk about, and, and it's hard to hear, and it's hard to listen to. But the text does deal with it. And so what we're, when we're talking about suffering, don't think that what I'm saying today represents the fullness of what I believe about suffering in the Christian life or the fullness of what the Christian life has to say about, about suffering. But we see here in this text St. Paul's response through his suffering for them. We see somehow that this suffering allows the glory of Christ to shine through us. It's easy to say, and it's difficult to do, because nowadays we're relatively used to, we're, we're used to relative lives of ease, especially compared to the ancient world. It's hard for us, particularly as Americans, to think about suffering. And so when we encounter it, we oftentimes don't know how to deal with it because we've lost this idea or we've lost, I should say, a theology of suffering in American culture because American religion, American civil religion, and in many American churches, the message is God will, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? This is tough for us to hear. And because that message has been so loud and so pronounced over the years, we're unable to interact anymore or to experience suffering in a way that shows Christ. And so all I can say, brothers and sisters, today is as we endure suffering, we need to keep in mind, number one, that Christ suffered. He gave his life so all can live. Not just the select few that God decided about before he made the world, but he gave his life so all can live. He suffered in ways we cannot even imagine. And St. Paul suffers according to the pattern of Christ, in order to show Christ. And so I think that means for us is that somehow when we suffer, we can display 
Jesus, especially in regarding to suffering, particularly for his sake, for the sake of the gospel. Because there's a real cost to following Jesus, particularly for his early disciples in the early church. There's a real cost. Imagine if St. Stephen in the book of Acts, imagine if they're picking up stones to stone him. He tried to like name and claim his way out of being martyred. Like St. John Chrysostom reminded us, if we endure for Christ's sake, then Christ will raise us up from death. And resurrection is the great Christian hope. That one day these frail bodies of ours, these jars of clay that the glory of God is shining through, will be fully conformed to his image. Romans 8, 18 and 23 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only the, the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. So, brothers and sisters, we need to trust that whatever it is that we have suffered, whatever it is that we are suffering now, God will redeem it. Maybe not in the way we want. Maybe not even the way we expect Him to, but He will redeem it. And either in this world or in the next What others meant for evil, God will take it. He will shape it and he will bring something redemptive out of it. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that when God redeems our suffering, he never redeems our suffering in a way that denigrates our experience or makes light of what we endured. We may not, if, and some of us who might be in the middle of suffering, it's hard to see our way through that. It's hard to work our way through that sometimes. And even if we don't experience it now in this life, in this age, we still have hope that we will be redeemed, that our bodies will be redeemed, that one day these frail jars of clay, these earthen vessels, one day will not be the thin, easily broken kind that gets chipped and scratched very easily, but that one day these jars of clay, these earthly bodies will be conformed fully to the images of Christ's. And that's the great Christian promise, brothers and sisters, that our bodies will be redeemed, free from sin, free from death, forever with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory together with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us in the next